Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. I want you to know that I wrote this sermon this morning on my computer, completed it, and then it disappeared. It was the best sermon I ever wrote. You'll never know. That is so frustrating when that happens. I mean, it could not be recovered at all. Um, But I wrote it again, and I believe that God really wants you to hear His Word this morning. A few years ago, I read a book called The Fall and Our Stars by John Green. I doubt it's a book that many of you have read. It's mainly for teenagers. It's a story of two teenagers in love, and both of them are facing the reality of dying young of cancer. It's a story about a boy and a girl, and the boy's name is Augustus Waters, and he's facing the reality of dying young of cancer. He's frustrated, disappointed. You see, he wanted to make his dent in the world. He wanted to live a life of greatness and accomplish big things and and leave a legacy. He wanted to leave a mark upon this world, and what bothers him the most is he's dying of cancer is being another unremembered casualty in the ancient and inglorious war against disease. But his girlfriend, Hazel Grace Lancaster, no relation, she didn't seek this hero mentality, but sought to live a simple life of noticing the good things in the world and loving those near to her before she died of cancer. And many of us can appreciate the sentiment and the simplicity of Hazel uh, Hazel Grace to be content to play our little small part on this earth. But if you're like me, most of us have the mindset of Augustus Waters. We want to make a dent. We want to accomplish great things on this earth for God. In fact, we want to be the hero with a lasting legacy. We read so many stories in the Bible, like the heroes of the faith, like Moses and David and Deborah and Esther and Peter and Paul. And and many of us want to be great. We want to be like those heroes in the Bible that make this huge gospel impact on the world. I hate to break it to you. Most of you will not be a hero. It's kind of depressing to think that most of us are going to pass off the scene and billions would have never heard of us. But you know what? That's okay. In fact, God set it up that way. This is the way he set it up. Rather than advancing his mission and work through heroes, God has chosen to use a corporate people called the church. Rather than advancing his mission and work through heroes, God has chosen to use a corporate people called the church. His plan is to use his church made up the redeemed for his glory. And that is really, really, really good news. And today what we're going to do as we're back in First Peter, we're going to look at the blessings of being the church. If that sounds boring to you, then you need to examine your heart like I do. 
Because we come in here on Sunday morning and we really, we really want it to be about you, right? Rather than us. I want it to be about me rather than we. But this morning, it's going to be about we rather than me and us rather than you. And that's a good thing. And I hope by the time we're done, you're going to be so excited that it's not about you. So let's look back at 1 Peter. Apostle wrote this to a church in order to encourage them to endure in the face of sufferings. They're facing a variety of trials and they were to endure and press on in their faith in Jesus. And the encouraging word is they weren't to do this alone, but to do it in community as the church. This is the way we're going to go. We're going to look at three relationships of the church this morning. Number one, we're going to look at relationship to each other. Number two, relationship to Christ. Number three, relationship to the world. Let's start with relationships with each other. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Chapter 1 left off with the command to fervently love one another from the heart. In order to love one another from the heart, you've got to get rid of those things that shut down love. They are malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Malice is wickedness. Deceit is cunning and hurtful. Hypocrisy is two-faced. Envy, not only do I want what you have, but I don't want you to have it. And slander, which is gossip and hateful speech. We are told, do you see it there, to put all of these aside so that we can love one another from the heart. And I don't know about you, but we all struggle. We struggle with putting these things aside. Our weeks can be full of struggle as we face a variety of small and large irritations. Let me just debrief with you on what could be a typical week of you, your past week. Your newspaper delivery shows up late. You go to get your prescriptions refilled and the pharmacy is messing up your insurance once again. People in the village drive too fast. People in the village drive too slow. The village politics may be driving you nuts. And so you're irritable. And you come in here kind of grumpy on Sunday morning. And somehow you're thinking that you're going to be able to shut that off. And yet you don't. And so if we all come in here on Sunday morning from our weeks of large and small irritations that we didn't handle very well, we come, up here, come in here on, on Sunday morning and we're like ticking time bombs, right? And yet... We are called to put these things aside, to put them aside, to examine our heart and say, okay, we're part of this body. We're either going to be a positive or negative part, and we need to put these things aside. And you may be thinking, hey, I thought you were going to talk about us and not me this morning, right? You thought we were going to talk about us, but here's the deal. In order to talk about us, we have to deal with you, because if you're not dealing with you, then you're going to distract us from our mission, if you're not dealing with your heart, you can drag down the us. You see, the me can drag down the we, and that's why we are called to put these things aside. So I'm hoping that you can not only show up on Sunday morning and put these aside, but you can put these things aside all week. But not only put them aside, you are to replace them with your craving of the Word of God. Look at verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies 
Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Just like babies crave milk, so we are to crave the pure milk of God's word. Milk here doesn't mean basic or introductory teaching as opposed to meat, but all people of all ages and all stages are to crave the pure milk of God's word. This is a daily turning from those things we just listed to the word, craving the word, desiring the word. And so if you're craving the word during the week and you come in here on Sunday morning, then we are all on the same page, moving in the same direction. If not, it could be disaster. I read a story recently about a contractor in Michigan and they were building a two-story house and the first floor was smooth, no problems. But the second floor as they started to build was a disaster. Nothing fit and everything was off. And they're like, what's the deal? And they finally figured out the problem. They were working from two different sets of blueprints. And so they got rid of the old one and then everything just fit fine. So I just want to just encourage us as the church. And I know we know this. I know you've heard this over and over again, but we can't do that. We have to come in here on Sunday morning where we're all on the same page. We have the same set of blueprints. We're moving in the same direction and we're rooted in the word of God. You're doing this during the week. We come together on Sunday morning and we're all moving in the same direction in our relationship to each other. But now we want to talk about our relationship to Christ. Start with verse 4 in our relationship to Christ. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. This is a reference from Psalm 118.22. And the living stone is Jesus Christ, who was rejected by the Jewish leaders, but to God is choice and precious. And Jesus is said to be a living stone because God raised him from the dead. And get this, all of us who are in a relationship with Christ are also called living stones. Look at verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What this is saying is that the church is a spiritual house, living stones that are making up this spiritual house who are believers in Jesus. And it just says we have a spiritual house. The other language for this is called a temple. And in the Old Testament, you would have the Lord indwell the temple, right? But now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord indwells the church. Not only are we a temple, living stone, spiritual house, but we are also a holy priesthood. Did you see it there once again in verse 5? We are a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Old Testament imagery. In the Old Testament, people would have certain men who would be the priests who would go before the Lord in the temple. But now all believers are priests and have direct access to the Father through Jesus. Are you getting it? Okay, there's a lot to, lot to handle here. We're a spiritual house, the temple. We are a role, holy priesthood. Well, what are we supposed to do as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood? Once again, look at verse 5. It says that our role is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, you can think about offering our bodies. Romans 12.1 We can think about giving gifts to spread the gospel. Philippians 4.18 Or singing praise. Hebrews 13.15 Or doing good deeds and sharing. Hebrews 13.16 Now these are things we know. We've read these as individuals. But have you ever thought about not only do we do this as individuals but we do this as the church. We do this together. We do this in community. That means that we can stir one another up to offer our lives as living sacrifices. That we can stir one another up to live lives of generosity and see the gospel spread. We can get together and offer up a sacrifice of praise. And we can spur one another on to do good deeds and sharing. These are the corporate spiritual sacrifices. Well, let's continue on with our relationship with Christ. Look at verse 6. This is some heavy stuff, guys, heavy stuff. Look at all these Old Testament references. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disobey, the stone the builders rejected. This has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Once again, Old Testament references. Here from Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118:22. And this is telling us that unbelievers are fulfilling those prophecies in the rejection of Jesus. Let me explain. Jesus is the choice stone. He's the cornerstone, which means the first stone in the building which all the rest of the stones are built afterwards. Jesus is the cornerstone. And this stone is down low, and we know it's down low because it's said that unbelievers stumble over this stone. They trip over this stone. And the reason why they stumble and trip over the stone is because Jesus Christ is not the Messiah they expected. They did not expect a suffering servant. So they stumble over Jesus. But it's not an accidental stumble like, oops, I just tripped over the stone. But it's a rebellious stumble as they reject Jesus Christ and trip over him, the cornerstone. But not us. What does the Word of God say that we consider this stone? Did you see? Verse 6 says that believers will not be disappointed. And to believers, Christ is precious to us. And we are being built as his spiritual house. He's not a rock of offense to us, but he's precious. Now, this is about to be the best part, an amazing reality that we're about to see that should stir amazement and not yawning. This past week, I was looking at a video circulating on the internet. I doubt you saw it, but it's a video of a preacher speaking in tongues and checking his phone and texting at the same time. That's off to me. Not the speaking in tongues part, but distracted by great spiritual realities. Uninterested in great spiritual biblical realities. These are amazing. I can't believe these descriptors of the church. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now let's keep those descriptors up, okay? Let's keep them up on the screen. They're from Exodus 19, 5-6 and Deuteronomy 7, 6-8. Originally referring to Israel and now they refer to the church. These are descriptors and identity markers of who we are. I think about identity is yesterday I was with my, my son, 12 years old Roman, at a, a state baseball tournament in Cabot. And each team has their name that speaks to their identity. And the name of my son's team is 100%. That's their name, 100%. And it speaks to their identity that they want to be a team who gives 100% effort in all that they do. These terms that you're seeing right now, they speak to our team identity as the church. Look at them. We're called a chosen race. We're made up of Jews and Gentiles from all over the world who've been chosen by grace. We're a royal priesthood, which means not only do we have access to the Father, but we do our priestly duties in taking the gospel around the world. We are a holy nation. We're citizens of heaven who are set apart as God's own possession. We're the people of God. At one time, Gentiles were not the people of God, but now through faith in Christ, we are the people of God. We've been targets of God's mercy. Rather than wrath being aimed at you, we get God's mercy. And we've been brought out of darkness into a marvelous light. I want you to notice that all of these images are corporate. They speak to our corporate identity. They speak to corporate unity and the focus is not on individuals. You see, what is going on here in the church is so much more bigger than what is going on with you or what is going on with me. What is going on here? So much bigger than what is going on with you and me. And the end goal is amazing of what is going on here in the church. Look at verse 9 once again. Do you see the point? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. The purpose of God's salvation and for gathering us as a people is so that we would bring him all the glory. And I think that this is something that the churches sometimes miss. Because if you think that church is all about being a social club or church is it's just all about being a recreational complex. Or, or church is maybe just a dispenser of religion and spirituality. You are missing it. You see, our goal of coming together and living as the people of God is right there, underline it, to proclaim the excellencies of Him. We do this in our worship. We proclaim the excellencies of Him. We proclaim the excellencies of Him in our study, in our action, and our love for one another and our giving, and our sacrifices. We have been brought together, not for recreation, not just to socialize, not just to dispense religion or spirituality or go to the motions. We've been brought together to proclaim the excellencies of Him. And part of that means taking the gospel to the world. And that brings us to the last part, three, 
our relationship to the world. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of his visitation. We understand the idea of aliens and sojourners, right? We're part of the kingdom of God. And while we live here, part of the kingdom of God, we want to have our behavior excellent. That maybe unbelievers will see our behavior and want to put their faith in Christ as they hear the gospel. Now, we know this, right? We know this, that if, if we're cussing up a storm, living all for ourselves, filled with materialism, there's nothing that's attractive about us to those who don't know Christ. They're not going to listen to our message because we're living just like them. But the same can be said of us corporately. If we are a corporate, a body full of this world, just going through the motions, dispensing spirituality, just a recreational complex, then we're just looking like the rest of the world. And yet, we're to live in such a way where we abstain from fleshly lusts which weigh war against our soul. Abstain from fleshly lusts individually. Get a battle plan corporately. It's like we need a personal and a corporate battle plan. Did you know the elders of this church, a frequent conversation that we have at our elder meeting has to do with mission drift. Are we drifting away from the mission that God has called us on? Are we getting caught up in the world and the ways of the world? We want to have an individual battle strategy, but also a corporate battle strategy so that our message, the gospel, will match the messengers, you. And if our message does not match the messengers, then there's no way that people are going to listen to us. And so we need to be on our guard. And I would say one of the biggest areas that we need to be on our guard as, as individuals and as a church, the biggest area we need to be on our guard against is that we can distort the gospel and we can make the gospel all about me or all about you. Where Jesus died on the cross is just you and Jesus and that's it. And so you make it all about me or all about you. But when we read the Word of God, we see that something so much bigger is going on. That you see Christ dying for a people. Where you see the corporate over the personal. Yes, the personal is there, but you see the corporate. And when I look at my life, I want it to be all about me. You see, I suffer from something called individualitis. Individualitis. Anybody else? I once heard a teacher named Andrew Wilson he listed seven ways you can tell you suffer from individualitis. And I found it very helpful, so I want to share it with you in closing. How to tell if you suffer from individualitis. Are you ready for this? Number one, you think I have a destiny rather than we have a destiny. Do you see God's plan in the world and your plan in the world more individually or corporately? Wilson asks, is there anything in your heart that elevates your destiny above the destiny of God's people? Number two, you read the Bible and think, this is for me rather than this is for us. Now, of course, you want to read the Bible and make personal applications, but at times, we leave out the promises to God's people. I'm going to give you an example. 
And you can, head your, you can hang your head in shame after I give this example. But a good example comes from Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's not for you as an individual. Take it off your wall. It's not an isolated promise to an individual, but it's to the people of God. We need to broaden our scope as we read the Word of God. It's not just about us. Number three, you view the church as optional and not essential. And I know that this is the case in our day and time, not just among you, but among many people in America, that if we got a better deal going on, we're fine to miss church. And I don't mean just this, but I mean all of associating with the body of Christ. If you're popping in here for a little inspirational boost, then you're missing the point. The church is where it is at. This is the main point. This is not optional. This is the deal. Not just Sunday morning, but all of life. The church is the point. Not when you get around to it. This is the point. It's what God brought us together. Number four, if you think, I have this gift, how will the church use it? Rather than, the church has this need, how can I serve it? I've seen people hop churches just so they can have their gift displayed rather than jump in and serve. It's not about you. Something bigger is going on here. Number five, the gospel is just for you and never in terms of a people, Israel, or the church. Yes, Christ died for individuals, absolutely, but he also died to redeem a people. Something bigger is going on than just you. Number six, evangelism is just you alone rather than with the whole church. For those of you who like to fish, maybe you just see evangelism like just you and a single pole like casting <laughs> out to the lake to catch some fish. That's not what's going on biblically. Well, because biblically, when you think of fishing, what happens? You've got the big old net. You've got lots of people involved. Evangelism is just not just for an isolated few in here. It's all of us are to be involved in this corporate effort. And lastly, number seven, you have individualitis if you, if you believe that culture change happens. Culture change happens as great men rise up and change history rather than complex networks of people bring about change. What that means is that, yes, there are great men and women doing great things, but it's not as if the rest of us just sit there and observe. Maybe you're just wondering, who are the heroes in here that can finally go and do something? It's not what it's about. It's about all of us involved and impacting the village. It's not just about one or two isolated. All of us are to be involved. Andrew Wilson concludes by saying, don't ask, what am I doing to impact the world for God? But what are we doing to impact the world for God? And his emphasis is really good because the church is the point and your point is to be a part of the church because destiny is corporate. Let this vision capture your heart that destiny is corporate. You have been saved and incorporated into the body of Christ, and now we as the body of Christ move out and see the kingdom of God advance through our collective efforts. Let this vision capture you that God is advancing his mission, and we are the people of God who move in unison for the glory of God. Corporate, the church, 
His people. Now, I got to give you some action points. I got to, just, just an action step. For those of you who are new here, let me encourage you strongly. Just learn more about this church and consider joining the church. We got something called Discover VBC coming up in about three weeks, two classes in October. Sign up for that just to learn about our church. And you may say, well, I don't see where membership is commanded in the Bible. Well, you know what? Maybe membership is not commanded in the Bible, but membership enables you to obey the New Testament commands. Enables you to be in accountability, to be in a, a relationship where you're serving. So let me encourage those of you who are new here, not a member yet, to come at least learn more about our church, learn more about our doctrine, learn what we're doing. Two, three, I think it's three weeks from today we start the Discover BBC class. In fact, if you want, you can just sign up on your visitor thing right there and just go to that. But there's another thing, action point I want to give you. Let me encourage you, if you're not in one, to jump into a small group. I know sometimes you don't like being around people. I mean, I don't either, but let me just encourage you. <laughs> you need to be around people. They need to be in your life. You need to be in their lives. And let me encourage you to jump in a small group. <clears throat> Fill out that card and say, I want to be in a small group. And we'll figure out one for you to get you there. We've got we to be together with people. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.